In the name of Allah, the most gracious, the ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to the show Faith and Freedom on Voice of Islam Radio. My name is Azhar Chaudhary and I'm joined by my co-host Khalid Hayat. Khalid, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Before we delve into today's episode, which is the persecution of Ahmadi Muslims in Pakistan, let me highlight the importance of freedom of religion and belief as a concept within Islam. Within Islam, the bedrock of peace and societal advancement lies in the profound principle of freedom of religion or belief. The Quran articulates this cornerstone value with clarity in the Holy Quran by stating in chapter 2 verse 257, let there be no compulsion in religion. This verse encapsulates Islam's commitment to fostering a society where individuals are free to choose their faith, promoting harmony and contributing to the collective progress of communities and where these principles are undermined as we will see in today's episode with the persecution of Amdi Muslims, it can lead to some devastating consequences not just for that community but also for other religious communities in such countries. So without further ado, Khalid, can you give us some background on who the Amdi Muslims are? The Amdi Muslim community Uh, is a peace-loving religious community that has faced persecution since its inception in 1889. Its founder, Hazrat Reza Ghulam Ahmed, was unique in the Muslim world by the virtue of his claim to be the Messiah and the Imam Mahdi, um, who is prophesied in Islam. And, and he held uh, a status of a subordinate prophet to the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. As a result of his claims, he and his community have suffered hostility and violence, and the first MD Muslim was martyred as far back as 1901. Persecution against the MD community intensified following the partition of the Indian subcontinent and the formation of Pakistan. MD Muslims played a pivotal role in the creation of Pakistan and supported those who considered the new country was best established as a secular state that enshrined freedom of religion. This put them at odds with radical political movements. And as a result, there was a concerted effort to remove Amdi Muslims from positions of influence and leverage religious differences to broaden the appeal of their campaign to make Pakistan an Islamic state. Thanks, Khalid. And this, of course, culminated in the events of 1974 when Prime Minister Zulfikar Ali Bhutto turned the anti-Amdi movement into fully-fledged state-sponsored persecution through the Pakistan constitution. And to discuss this further and the laws that have ever since 1974 resulted in the intensification of the persecution of the Amdi Muslim community, we're joined by Freed Ahmed. Freed serves on the national executive of the Amdi Muslim community in the UK as the national secretary for external affairs. He has a particular focus on community engagement and human rights issues. He is a regular speaker in parliamentary meetings and hearings in the UK and EU and recently also visited Pakistan with a freedom of religion of belief delegation earlier this year. Freed Saab, welcome to the show. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be on you as well. Welcome, Salam. I suppose the first question that we have is around 1974 uh, to give us context around why Overnight, Ahmadis were outlawed by the Pakistan constitution as being non-Muslim? I think it's a really good question. And to answer that, effectively, one needs to go back to something that was mentioned earlier, that the community faced persecution from its outset. So the, the community that accepted the claim of the founder, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, peace be upon him, were the community that became the Ahmadi Muslim community. There was a group that opposed, and that opposition... Um, became hostile and ultimately turned into persecution and even violence with the early uh, people murdered for their beliefs uh, in Afghanistan um, from the early 20th century. So the issue of persecution has a long history. 
but it did indeed ramp up as the creation of Pakistan and that debate took place around the 1930s, 40s and 50s. And that debate, just to briefly summarise that, was that the idea of Pakistan being created, there were two effectively uh, opposing camps and one saw the opportunity for this country to take on a Sharia-based system, more specifically that group's interpretation of Sharia, and that was led by Majlis Ahrar uh, and later Jamaat Islami, and the opposition from Muhammad Ali Jinnah, who went on to become the founder of Pakistan, that argued for the separation of church and state, where people were equal citizens before the law and your individual religious beliefs were your personal beliefs. Jinnah's vision of Pakistan prevailed, And that left the Ahrar and their group looking for an opportunity to reclaim the political ground. The Ahmadiyya Muslim community also supported Jinnah's vision because in Islam you have separation of church and state and freedom of religion. Uh, As a community we're also very highly educated in Pakistan and managed to be uh, given the opportunity to serve the country in senior positions, uh, including for example the first foreign minister of Pakistan, Sir Muhammad Zafrullah Khan. The Ahrar saw this as an opportunity to target their political movement. Uh, sorry to jump in. The Ahrar, for our listeners, will be useful just to get a quick background on who they are. So it was a political grouping, a religious political grouping, that basically saw their position as championing the cause of a Sharia-based Islamic system, uh, as I mentioned, their particular interpretation of Sharia. So after having um, seen Jinnah's vision succeed, Uh, They then took aim at uh, Ahmadi Muslims who were in senior positions because they already had a religious difference. Now they saw a political opportunity arising from the creation of Pakistan. So they led a national campaign to target Ahmadis, uh, to remove them from positions of influence. And this even led to uh, riots against the Ahmadi Muslim community. And ultimately, the the issue you mentioned about 1974, when Zulfiqar Ali Bhutto became prime minister, he himself was not a religious person, as he openly admitted. So he needed the vote of people to stay in power. So effectively, a deal was done where he said to the religious right, the Arar and Jamaat Islami, that um, your sort of campaign to declare Ahmadis non-Muslims, I will support that in return for the vote because these people had a lot of street power, as was evidenced by the riots that had uh, emerged before. So that deal was done. And in 1974, the constitution of the country, now this is a huge watershed moment in the history of the country, or indeed any country, because I don't think it's been repeated anywhere in the world, where a religious group has been declared Uh, to be outside the fold of that very faith. So the constitution of Pakistan declares Ahmadis to be not Muslims for the purposes of law and constitution. A very significant moment and marginalising overnight one community at the expense of everybody else. Obviously that was a watershed moment and we saw the proclamation of these laws over the next decade or so and eventually culminated in something that happened in 1984, which is known um, as Ordinance 20. So I was hoping you'd be able to expand on sort of what changed as a result of the the laws and the the proclamation of 1984's Ordinance 20. Yes. So as you can see that once you give way to extremism, then that is a slippery slope. And in the end, that extremism grows and becomes emboldened and in effect, not only targets one community, but targets every community that disagrees with it. 
And after 1974, we've seen that pattern emerge in Pakistan. And ultimately, in 1984, when General Zia took power, again, he was a military dictator in need of popularizing his position. So he also decided decided to resort to faith and religion as a means to become popular. So he too took the issue with the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and decided, well, let's see how we can target them more to gain more popularity. And part of his Islamization or so-called Islamization agenda was to enact Ordinance 20, which was a remarkable piece of legislation in the sense that it is draconian, uh, perhaps like no other law um, is in Pakistan. And it criminalized uh, Ahmadi Muslims. It basically said, the law says, if an Ahmadi calls themselves a Muslim, refers to their faith as as Islam, calls their place of worship a mosque, uh, preaches or propagates their faith, or even poses as a Muslim, and it leaves that definition open, what is posing as a Muslim? For all of these acts, an Ahmadi can be punished by three years imprisonment. So it has criminalized the faith of being an Ahmadi Muslim. If I were in Pakistan and I stood up and said, I am an Ahmadi Muslim, that's a crime punishable by three years imprisonment. Um, And you can imagine the hostile environment that created um, based on those laws and the environment in which the religious right now felt even more emboldened to target and persecute the community. If we look at the wording of the law, uh, and this is section 298 of uh, the criminal uh, code in Pakistan, it's actually even more broad. And uh, I'll quote here. Um, it says here that if by if an Ahmadi Muslim preaches or propagates his faith or invites others to accept his faith by words, either spoken or written or by visible representations or in any manner whatsoever outrages the religious feelings of Muslims, they shall be imprisoned for three years. So it leaves open the possibility of any Muslim saying, I am outraged by the act of an Ahmadi and therefore I will lodge a criminal case against you. And we have seen that happen all uh, many times over. And the issues you mentioned about misuse of epithets, uh, again, those can be taken under the wider blasphemy laws to say that this is outraging the feeling of a Muslim and therefore the basis of a case. Now, the blasphemy laws, which are also um, used against Ahmadis and other communities, now prescribe the death penalty. So the anti-Ahmadi laws give you three years in prison. If you are charged under the blasphemy laws, as many Ahmadis and other religious minorities are, that's uh, punishable by death. So it's quite draconian uh, in the way these are done. And the threshold for evidence is minimal. You don't even need to repeat the blasphemy for a charge to be made. Um, against a person because the argument is, oh, if I repeat the blasphemy, then I'm blaspheming myself. And that is acceptable in in the law of the land. It's quite uh, an amazing situation and one that has been abused and misused repeatedly to target the peaceful Ahmadi Muslims in Pakistan. And I was wondering whether now that we've seen the expansion of these laws um, in 1984 with Ordinance 20, obviously now laws have expanded further. There's been different formats or tools used to persecute Ahmadi. So I was wondering, one, if you could get some examples that you've seen of persecution against Ahmadi Muslims in Pakistan, any case studies or examples that you've seen. And secondly, how you've seen it develop or evolve in the sort of more latter stages of the the laws and the expansions of the laws in modern day. Absolutely. So the 
direct impact of these laws and the hostile environment because effectively it says to religious right, to religious extremists that you can do what you want, the law is on your side, whereas the law normally should be to protect the innocent, to protect your rights. But here it works in reverse. And we've seen hundreds of Ahmadis murdered in Pakistan in cold blood directly because of their religious beliefs. Uh, perhaps the biggest single example is the massacre in Lahore in 2010, where 86 Ahmadis were killed in mosques, in two mosques, by terrorists you know, who attacked with bombs and bullets and and so on. Um, and similarly, since then, there's been coordinated campaigns of hate. So there's a lot of online hatred. There's been a lot of hate speech. Um, many of our mosques now are under attack uh, with extremists and the authorities taking down the minarets, saying these should not look like mosques, even though there's no law which says that. Um, we've seen our graves being attacked because they say, oh, these graves have uh, religious terminology or Muslim names. And so the tombstones are desecrated in cases. Um, bodies have also been exhumed and scattered on the roadside. So the attack and the wave of persecution is um, ongoing and it's increasing over the last few years. Um, 400 graves have been attacked. And this year, over 40 mosques have been attacked. And we see very little evidence, if any, of the authorities actually stopping and prosecuting those who are attacking, even though they are known. Worse still, we have seen the authorities themselves taking action to destroy our mosques and our graves. And again, no action is taken to stop that, despite the fact that there are judgments in the courts to say that these activities shouldn't happen. But at the same time, there are other judgments in the courts which say, which go further, that say Ahmadis should have certain names, should be told to dress in a certain way so that they are easily identifiable and therefore can be targeted. So it's a very hostile environment and the persecution, sadly, has been on the increase. Just to come back, this intensification of persecution that we see in Pakistan is obviously aided and abetted by the state. And I'm keen to understand that. Has there been an increase in legislative legislation coming into place that persecutes Ahmadi Muslims as well. Keen to understand that a bit more from your side. It is uh, it is a fact and a deeply worrying fact that after the Ordinance 20 and the amendment to the criminal laws, uh, the legislative uh, tools have actually uh, been used even more. So we've seen, for example, the ban on Ahmadis through the Quran Act, you know, publishing the Holy Quran. So as Muslims, we are not allowed to publish our holy books. Uh, in Punjab, our religious literature, our the entire writings of the founder are banned. So we have a publications ban on all our material there. We've seen the abuse of the anti-terror laws, which are designed to tackle extremists, um, to tackle violent extremists being used to arrest people who were uh, had a copy of the Holy Quran in their shop. Uh, there was a case of uh, Abdul Shakur who was arrested and imprisoned for three years uh, and five years under the anti-terror laws. And more recently, we've seen the cyber laws that have made it a criminal offence, blasphemy through the back door, uh, for um, hosting websites or social media accounts uh, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And that's the PECA laws, the prevention of Electronic Crimes Act 2016 was amended in 2020. And it's interesting because it talks about protecting um, the glory of Islam. And that in its terminology makes clear that this is for uh, use uh, on blasphemy issues, uh, completely irrelevant. And they also have extraterritorial reach. So they've been used to try and close down websites outside of Pakistan. 
And the net effect of all this is that, you know, Ahmadi Muslims have nowhere to go to learn about their own faith. They can't publish their own material. They can't read about their own material. The cyber laws have closed the last remaining door for them to learn because they've been arrested for saying "Assalamu alaikum, for sharing texts from the Holy Quran um, within their own groups. So this is not even going public. So the laws have got worse and tightened the noose uh, of legislative persecution for the Ahmadiyya Muslim community since 1984. And you were mentioning the Prevention of Electronic Crimes Act of 2016. And as a result, there's been numerous imprisonments following misuse of that law. I was wondering whether you could expand on some of the cases that have been used in the expansion for what we would consider, what sounds like you're describing a prisoners of conscience, how these people have been imprisoned and for what reason they were imprisoned. Absolutely. Many people have been arrested and charged under the cyber laws. And as I mentioned, the laws that are used to firstly close down websites, close down social media accounts in Pakistan. So you will find no uh, websites or social media accounts. Um, People have been charged for sharing messages within private groups um, with extracts of the Holy Quran for saying Asalaamu Alaikum. We've even had um, recently a member of our community who was arrested and, and charged for having a Muslim name. Um, for saying assalamu alaikum, a greeting of peace. It is ironical if a Christian or Hindu or a person of any faith or no faith went to Pakistan and said assalamu alaikum, they would be happy. When an Ahmadi offers a greeting of peace, they put him in prison. So, And these laws have been used to close down, try and close down websites and social media accounts overseas as well. So it's an all-encompassing attack on the community. And sadly, we don't see this coming to a stop, uh, a standstill at all. If anything, it seems to be getting worse. We know that there are elections in Pakistan next year. There have been elections before. Laws have been used to prevent Ahmadis from voting. Uh, They put Ahmadis on a separate electoral list, which means that the only way to come off that list is to say that you are either not an Ahmadi or uh, accept that you are not a Muslim. And both choices are completely unacceptable. So... The impact of the laws is not just on your religious activities, but your civic rights as well. And just to further probe on this legislative realm, uh, that is, I guess, tightening the noose around Ahmadi Muslims. There's also a publications ban in the Punjab province um, against Ahmadi Muslims. And what that, to me, points to is a complete denial, not just of your faith, but also to educate your future generations on on your faith. I mean, to me, that seems like pretty brutal persecution because you are cleansing a, an identity. Yes, and the the publications ban uh, eliminates the opportunity for us to teach our children about our faith. And even if you say, well, a country does not want um, somebody to propagate their faith, that already is a direct contravention contravention of UN um, the UN Charter and uh, the Article 18 and the rights of human rights and freedom of religion under that. But this goes a lot further because it's also denying the right to education, denying the right for your children to know about their faith. And over time, effectively, it's a silent genocide. You are not only killing people, you are curtailing their rights, you are denying them education about their future. And the, the goal seems to be that, you know, over a generation, eliminate the presence of the Ahmadi Muslims from the country altogether. That's the level of persecution. And recently, there was a visit to Pakistan and a report by the all-party parliamentary group for freedom of religion and belief. And in in that report, uh, one of the parliamentarians said that, you know, this is 
um, very close to a genocide, that we are on the borderline of something that could be quite dramatic. And it is, it is a fact. The laws in Pakistan already mean that if you have a passport in Pakistan, the passport for Ahmadis will declare their faith as Ahmadi rather than as Muslims. That also means that those Ahmadis are unable to travel to Saudi Arabia for one of the five fundamental pillars of Islam, which is the performance of the pilgrimage, the Hajj. So you are discriminated um, in databases. You are listed as non-Muslim. In schools, the religious books um, teach hatred against children. Young primary school children are told to stand up, and if they are uh, Ahmadis, they'll be targeted and um, harassed, not just by students, but also by teachers. Students have been expelled from university. So in every sphere of life, whether it's from birth, marriage, education, employment, there is a, a, a constant persecution. Uh, and I think it was described aptly by another parliamentary report earlier in 2020, which called it a suffocation, a suffocation of rights, effectively, in every aspect of life for Ahmadi Muslims in Pakistan. And we are now seeing that also, sadly, coming to other countries. So it's not contained within the country. It's getting worse, but also that extremism is spreading. To build on that point, you know, you mentioned, and, and this is the, the entire concept of this series, was to explore freedom of religion and belief as a fundamental human right for every individual and every nation state. You touched upon some of the reports that have been produced by Parliament in the UK, and I was interested to understand what you think the impact has been on the international scale, the responses that have been um, represented by other nation states towards these laws, um, You know what actions we think or what actions you think these nation states should be taking against Pakistan or simply the discourse that needs to happen in relation to these blasphemy laws and these anti-Amdi laws that exist in Pakistan? I think the first point I'd like to make is that Pakistan is a country that the Amdi Muslim community has given life and soul to in the service of. So the community has a deep love for that country. And in fact, in the teachings of Islam, it says that you should be loyal to the country in which you live. So for Ahmadi Muslims in Pakistan and those who have left since, there is a deep affection. And that deep affection means that we do not in any sense want to see Pakistan suffer. Rather, you know, we want to see Pakistan succeed and prosper. So the issues that we see there are the way we want other countries and the international community to address them is to be a friend to Pakistan, to help Pakistan. Every country has its challenges, but every country needs to face up to those challenges and make a difference. So by investing in Pakistan's education, for example, you know, remove the hate material and perhaps most importantly, stop killing us, stop killing Ahmadis and stop the attacks against our mosques and our graves and prosecute those who are carrying out these horrific atrocities. And ultimately, Pakistan needs to repeal its anti-Ahmadi laws and laws that discriminate against any religious community because it needs to be a country of peace and social harmony. In 1974, when the constitution was amended, the third caliph of our community, uh, Hazrat Mirza Nasr Ahmed, Ramullah, uh, peace be on him, he said that the action you're taking against our community will not stop against us, but will affect all communities in Pakistan. And that prophecy has been true. We've seen now that Christians, Hindus and other communities are affected. 
So our concern about Pakistan is not just for us. Of course, we're concerned about us, but it's for the country itself. And when you reverse the tide of extremism, you will start and initiate a path to progress and peace. And that's what we want the international community to focus on, is to remove extremism, to support development and make sure that the human rights of all people in Pakistan are respected. Whatever action can be taken to help Pakistan along that journey should be welcome. And in fact, the same action should be taken to help other countries as well. And in fact, in later episodes of this series, we look at the benefits of freedom of religion or belief in a society and how they aid economic growth. And this is something also pointed out in the APPG Freedom of Religion report that you referenced to, Freed. And just just the exact words on the genocide element um, on the MD issue, uh, the report states that it, it is clear that MD Muslims are targeted solely due to their religious identity. The conditions inflicted upon the group clearly result in serious bodily and mental harm to its members and could amount to efforts to physically destroy the cultural and religious heritage of Ahmadi Muslims in Pakistan. If intent can be proven, then this may meet the standards laid down in Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide. So quite poignant words there from that report. Absolutely. And a reminder that time effectively, you could say, is running out. You know, when you reach a point where people are thinking about genocide, that's quite an extreme point to reach in the history of a country. So for Pakistans and Pakistani citizens and the leaders in Pakistan, this is something that would be a loss to them. When you have persecution, there is a brain drain, you lose talent from all parts of society. What we want to see is a reversal of that process so that people do not feel threatened, rather they feel safe, and that stability builds success for the country. Absolutely. And I must say to listeners, we've tried to cover just the basics in in our first series, and in, in our upcoming series too, we will uncover some of these topics at further length. One final point. I think it's really important that what we want for Pakistan is to return to the vision of Pakistan as stated by its founder, Muhammad Ali Jinnah. He said that this country will be a country where all citizens are free to practice their faith, will be equal before the law. So this is not a alien, an alien concept to the country. We want it to revive that vision that the founder of the country had and we see that as the basis for its success. Absolutely poignant words, and this leads me nicely on to my final um, remarks, which are the words of His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, stressing the importance of freedom of religion or belief. He states that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has itself been victim of grave religious persecution to the extent that obnoxious laws have been enacted against us, preventing our members from professing and practicing their basic religious beliefs. Over a period of many decades, Amdi Muslims have been mercilessly targeted only because of their religious beliefs, and many have lost their lives as a result of utterly inhumane and barbaric attacks by religious extremists. We, Amdi Muslims, have never and will never respond to such hatred and cruelty in a like fashion. Rather, our response will always be one of love and peace. Based on the teachings of Islam, we say to Muslims and non-Muslims alike that all people must always be free to profess and practice their peacefully held religious beliefs. Poignant words from His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, around the principle of freedom of religion for all. We've come to the end of today's episode on the persecution of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. I would like to thank my 
panellist, Fareed Ahmed, for joining us today to discuss this issue at length. And I'd also like to thank my co-host, Khaled Hayat, for joining me. I'd like to mention that the views and opinions mentioned by the panellists are their views only and do not necessarily represent the views and outlook of the Voice of Islam radio. For feedback and for more information or to listen to this episode again, please log on to www.voiceofislam.co.uk. Until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.